Lord, obviously your Bible is powerful and I just need your help to preach your word. I pray you'd help me as I say the things you'd have me to say, as I uh, preach through the notes that I've written down, that you would use your words, Father, and you'd bless those who came tonight, that they would leave here knowing they've heard from you, that you would challenge them or encourage them or convict them or whatever the situation, whatever they need to hear, that your Holy Spirit would do that work. We love you, Lord, in your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, we're there in Acts chapter number 19, and we continue following Paul through his missionary journeys. And Paul comes to Ephesus, if you look at verse 1 of verse of chapter 19 there, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos, you remember we talked about Apollos last week, and Aquila and Priscilla, and it says that Apollos was at Corinth, and it says, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. Now Ephesus... We know, uh, you know, you might be familiar with the book of Ephesians in the Bible. And Paul went to Ephesus here, and he, uh, the events that took place in Ephesus led to a church being established. We know that's what Paul is doing on his missionary journeys, going from city to city, preaching the gospel, starting churches. The church of Ephesus was started, and he later on wrote an epistle to the church of Ephesus, which one of these days will preach through the book of Ephesus, and you'll learn a lot in that book as well. But here's where we're at. Paul is at Ephesus. And the first group he meets in Ephesus, if you look at verse 1 again, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Now I want you to make note of these words. It says, He was finding certain disciples. The Bible says, the Bible calls these twelve men certain disciples. Now, the passage in the Bible, and we're going to get into it here, the story that we read, we're going to get into it very clear, makes it, here in a, in a minute, makes it very clear that these men were not saved. They were not Christians. Let me rephrase that. They were Christians, but they were not saved. Say, so what are you talking about? They were unbelievers. They were disciples, listen to me carefully, they were disciples, but they were not saved. You say, why, why weren't they saved? We're going to see it here in a minute, we're going to go through it. You know, phrase by phrase, like we do on Wednesday night. Don't worry, you're going to understand it. But they weren't Christians. They weren't saved. But the Bible calls them disciples. Say, so what's that about? Well, you got to understand this. The word disciple comes from our word discipline. Alright? A disciple is someone who lives a disciplined life. In the Bible... Someone who was a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ was someone who lived a disciplined life based on the teachings of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Scriptures. Alright? But here's what you got to understand. A disciple, what makes you a disciple is whether you're disciplined, whether you're following Christ, how you live your life. Now here's what you got to understand. Simply being saved does not make you a disciple. You can be saved and not be a disciple. And the reverse is true. You can be a disciple and not be saved. Alright? There are many people... You know, you come to Verity Baptist Church and we teach a lot of uh, Bible type sermons where we're teaching you how to live. I mean, we'll teach you sermons on how you ought to live your life. We'll teach you sermons of how you ought to think, how the Bible teaches us. We ought to think. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We'll teach you sermons about how you should dress, how you should speak, how you should uh, act, how you should comport yourself. And if you take those sermons, those teachings, how to think, how to speak, how to dress, how to act, 
how, you know, how, what type of attitude to have and the things you ought to be thinking about and things that, that are very practical type things. And you apply those to your life, you begin to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you're living a disciplined life. Now look, you can be saved and not be a disciple. You go to this church and learn about, you know, how to dress, how to look, how to act, how to think, how, to, how, how, how God wants you to be, and say, hey, I'm saved, I'm a believer, but not applying those things, you're not a disciple. Because a disciple lives a disciplined life. That's a step, you know, being disciplined is difficult. It's hard. And these men were disciples, but they weren't believers. And that's something we got to understand, because we as Christians often want to judge people's salvation based on how they live their life. And we look at people and we think, that person lives a very disciplined life. That person is a disciple, therefore they must be saved. Not true. Just because someone lives a good life or a disciplined life doesn't necessarily mean they're saved. And just because somebody's saved doesn't mean they live a disciplined life. You can be saved and not be a disciple. And you can be a disciple and be not saved. Who's ever heard of this? And this is kind of a, you know, obviously, hopefully everyone's heard this. But if you have a question, we can take it at the end. Yeah, we'll, we'll take the questions at the end after the Bible study. Yeah. So, now here's the thing. Being a disciple, who's ever heard of the twelve disciples? Obviously, we've all heard of the twelve disciples. Jesus had twelve disciples, but not all twelve were saved. Judas carried had a devil. Alright? So he was a disciple, but he wasn't saved. Does that make sense? So you can be a disciple and not be saved. You can be saved and not be a disciple. Alright? Let me give you an example. There are people who are not saved who live very disciplined lives. You're, I've met very disciplined, very devout People from other religions, very devout Muslims, very disciplined in their lives. The things they do, the things they look at, the things they believe, the way the way they uh, perform, the, the things they do, they, their schedule during the day. I've met very devout Mormons. I mean, young men who will go out on a mission field for, for two years and they'll do this and they'll do that and they'll do all these things. And you can find religions and, and churches are filled with very disciplined, very discipled people but that doesn't necessarily mean they're believers. Being saved does not make you a disciple. And being a disciple does not make you saved. The Bible says at the end of this, uh, at the end of this uh, verse here, it says that the, he found certain disciples. Now I want you to look at verse number 2. And here's what Paul did. Because Paul, Paul asked them a very specific question. Notice what he said in verse 2. He said, He said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believe? Now, if you've gone soul winning with me, you may have noticed that I ask a lot of questions. And I don't ask questions to be rude, but we ask questions because we want to know what people believe. Paul, here's what you got to understand about Paul. Paul saw these disciples, and he recognized them as disciples. He said they lived very disciplined lives, but he didn't assume that they were saved. He still asked them a question. He said, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Paul questioned their salvation. He does not assume that they are saved. He doesn't assume anybody's saved. And he asked them a very specific question. Are you a Christian? Are you saved? Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Now go with me very quickly. Keep your finger there in Acts uh, chapter number 19. And go with me to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. And let me show you a verse here. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. 
You know, we ask people about their salvation. We ought not judge people's salvation based on their works. Salvation does not come by your works. The Bible says, not of works of righteousness, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by His mercy He saved us. The Bible says, for by grace you take your faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works. So we ought not base people's salvation on how they live their life. We ought to base it on what they believe. Now here's the thing. The Bible says. Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh upon the heart. I can't see your faith. I can't see your belief. So how do I know if you believe? I ask you a question. And based on your question, I know what you believe. Look at Psalm 107. Look at verse 2. That's a very biblical principle. Look at Psalm 107, verse 2. Psalm in the Old Testament, 107, verse 2 says this. It says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So the Bible says, if you've been redeemed of the Lord, you should be able to say so. So if I ask you, hey, have you been redeemed? Hey, have you been saved? Hey, are you on your way to heaven? Hey, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? You ought to be able to tell me, yes I have, or no I haven't. Because the Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So if you can tell me you're saved, then you believe. I don't judge your salvation. I judge it based on what you believe, and I judge what you believe based on what you say. That's why the Bible says that whosoever shall confess with their mouth and shall believe in their heart shall be saved. That's what the Bible says. Go back to uh, Acts 19. Look at what it says. He asked them this very specific question. Verse 2. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Notice their answer. And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. So they said, I've never even heard of the Holy Ghost. Now right there, are they saved? Can you be saved about the Holy Ghost? No. Well look, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost is the assurance of our salvation. The Bible says the Holy Ghost is the, uh, uh, is, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Bible says when you got saved, you got sealed with the Spirit of God. So if you didn't get the Holy Ghost, if you, don't even, if you never even heard of the Holy Ghost... You're not saved. So he says, hey, have you, been, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? Now, let, let me say this. Wednesday night is Bible study night. So Wednesday night, we're trying to teach you the Bible. Go over to John chapter number 7. John, very quickly, you're there in Acts. Just go back to the verse before that. John chapter number 7. Look at verse number 38. There are those who teach that you do not get the Holy Ghost when you get saved. They'll teach that you get the Holy Ghost, you know, that it's, it's, a, it's steps. The, the Pentecostal movement of today will teach you that you believe, but then after certain steps in your salvation process, you receive the Holy Ghost. But we've got to ask this question, is that scriptural? What does the Bible say? You're there in John chapter number 7, look at verse 38. John chapter number 7, look at verse 38. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, He that believeth, that's the faith, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. So he said, Jesus said, if you believe, out of your belly are going to flow rivers of living water. You say, what are you talking about? Look at verse 39. Look, verse 39 starts in parentheses, because it's letting us in, it's letting us know what 38 is talking about. He says, but this spake he of the Spirit. So that living water that's going to flow out of your belly, he was referring to the Spirit. Look what he says, verse 39, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. So when do you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believe. Do you see that? 
It says, they that should believe on Him should receive. And He says, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. At this time, before Jesus, Jesus hadn't been glorified, so the Holy Spirit hadn't been given. But He said, when you believe, after He's been glorified, when you believe, you get the Holy Spirit. You're there in John chapter 7, look at John 20. And move, move quickly with me because we've got a lot of passages to look at. Look at John chapter number 20, look at verse number 21. John chapter number 20, look at verse number 21, look at what it says. John chapter number 20, verse 21. This is after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in John 20 has already resurrected and He's in His glorified body. Remember in John 7 He said, you know, it said that the Holy Ghost had not been given because He had not been glorified. Well, at this point He's been glorified. He just resurrected in John chapter number 20. And look at verse number 21. Then said Jesus to them again, He's appearing to His disciples, and He said, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. Look at verse 22. And when He had said this, He breathed on them, and He saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Do you see that? So Jesus Christ was resurrected, He was glorified, and when He appeared to them after He resurrected, one of the first things He did is He told them to receive the Holy Ghost. He gave them the Holy Spirit. Paul in Acts 19, you can go back to Acts 19 with me, Paul in Acts 19 asked a very specific question. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? Because Paul knows when you believe is when you receive the Holy Ghost. Don't let anybody tell you, well, you've got to go through seven steps of salvation, and at the end, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost, and you'll speak in tongues, and we're going to talk about that here at the end of the Bible study. That's not true. When you believe, you receive the Holy Ghost. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost is the earnest of our salvation. He's like the down payment of our salvation. The Bible says we are sealed with the Holy Ghost. You get sealed with the Spirit of God. When you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit. Paul asks, he doesn't assume anybody's saved. That's why we don't assume anybody's saved. Usually when somebody visits our church, and we go, you know, either after the service, or when we go visit them afterwards, we always ask, people say, well, I've been in church all my life, I've been to this, I've been that, I've been that. And we still ask him, hey, do you know if you're that day, you go to heaven? Why? Because we don't assume anybody's saved. We ought not. It's a scriptural thing. Paul did. He found disciples, and he said, man, these people are disciples. They're in their very disciplined lives. They live very good lives. They're following the Bible. Let me ask you a question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you've been saved? Since you believe? He didn't assume anybody was saved. But notice their false profession. Look at verse 3. Oh, the, the end of verse 2, they said, We have not so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. They said, that Holy Ghost? That's news to us. We've never even heard of a Holy Ghost. Look at verse 3. And He said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? Now I don't want to spend too much time on this because I just recently preached an entire sermon on baptism. But do you remember when we were preaching about baptism? We thought, when you get baptized, you get baptized unto who? The Lord Jesus Christ. You get baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why you know, death, burial, and resurrection, when we baptize you and bring it up, you got baptized in Jesus Christ. So Paul's like scratching his head and he's saying, now hold on, you said you were baptized, after you received the Holy Ghost, you said you didn't even heard the Holy Ghost, that tells me you're not even saved, so then who were you baptized unto? You weren't baptized into the Holy Ghost. You weren't baptized into Jesus Christ. So what were you baptized into? Look what they said, look at verse 3. And he, said, and he said unto them unto, What then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Talking about John the Baptist. They said, we, we were baptized unto Jesus. We were baptized unto John. John's baptism. They came from the ministry of John the Baptist. They answered that they were baptized unto John. Now here's what you got to understand. 
At this point, Paul would probably be thinking to himself, no, 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 you, you missed the point. You remember when we preached on that a few, a few uh, months ago or something in Acts? You missed the point, guys. You think you were baptized into John? You got religion, but you missed Jesus Christ. You're supposed to be baptized into Jesus Christ. You're supposed to be baptized into the Holy Ghost. You are professing that you're baptized into John the Baptist. He said, you, you missed it. You didn't get it. You're not understanding this. Now, here's what you got to understand. John the Baptist was a great preacher. He was a good man. In fact, he was the best man. Jesus Christ said there is no greater man than John the Baptist. But they were confused. Okay? Even good preachers can have people in their ministries who are confused and don't understand. And I hope this makes sense to you. It's funny how God works. Their problem, these 12 men's problem, was not a lack of faith. Okay? They believed. They had faith. Their problem was their understanding. They believed, but they did not understand. They believed, but they did not understand what they were supposed to be. They had their faith in John the Baptist. John's baptism. John can't save you. You need Jesus Christ. Do you remember on Sunday morning? And I didn't plan this. I promise you I didn't plan this. This is God Remember on Sunday morning we preached on the parable of the sower? Do you remember the seed that went in the wayside? Remember how the birds came and they ate it up? In fact, let's go there. Matthew 13. Let's do it quickly. Matthew 13. I know I just preached on this on Sunday morning, but I want you to look at it. Matthew 13. The seed on the wayside. you remember that? Look at it quickly. Remember to refresh your mind. Matthew 13. Look at verse number 4. Matthew 13, 4. Look what it says. And when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Remember what the fowls were? They were that wicked one. They were Satan. They were the devil. You remember that? Look at verse number 19. What was the problem? What was the problem? Look at verse 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom. What was the seed? Do you remember what the seed was? The seed was the word. Do you remember that? Being born again, not of incorruptible seed, but of, uh, not, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So the seed is the word. Verse 19, he's explaining to us the parable of the wayside seed. And he says, when anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, look what it says, and understandeth it not. Those are our twelve guys in Acts 19. They heard the word, but they didn't understand it. They heard the word, but they didn't comprehend it. They heard the word, but they didn't understand the faith was in the Holy Ghost and Jesus Christ. And by the way, you study the preaching of John the Baptist. He talked a lot about the Holy Ghost. But they didn't understand it. Look at, look, look at verse 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. That is he which received the seed by the wayside. Let me tell you something about the Holy Spirit. Or let me tell you something about the devil and that wicked one. Here's what you got to understand. The devil doesn't care if you go to church. The devil doesn't care if you live a disciplined life. The devil doesn't care if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. As long as you're not saved, he doesn't really care. We have this idea that the devil, you know, the devil doesn't care if you're on drugs. The, the devil doesn't care if you're on, uh, you know, addicted to alcohol and drugs and cigarettes. The devil doesn't care if you spend your nights in the bars or in the casinos. And the devil doesn't care if you spend every day at church. All he cares about whether you're saved and he wants to make sure you're not saved. Hey, come to church. Go ahead. As long as you're not saved. Be a zealot in a religion as long as you don't get saved. Hey guys, you want to be a disciple of John the Baptist? Have at it. Let me just take that seed. Make sure you don't understand. The problem with these men, Acts 19, go back there, was not the lack of faith. 
They had faith. They just didn't know what to have faith in. They did not understand. Look at verse 3. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Look at verse 4. Look at his response. Paul's response. Then said Paul, John, this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, I'm going to help you get this. I'm going to help you understand. Paul is thinking to himself, I'm going to explain to you exactly what it is that John was preaching, because you obviously missed it. Look at verse 4. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Who's ever heard this word before? Repent. Repentance. We all have. The word repentance or repent means this, to turn away or to turn from. It means to turn around. A military term is this, about face. You ever heard of you know, military when they bring you, they'll say, you know, they'll bring you to a tanch huh? and they'll say right face, you go to the right, you know, left face, you're left. They say about face, you actually turn around. That's what repentance means. See, some of you didn't know I could dance. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, that's military. I'm not dancing. That's military. The, the word repent means to turn around. It means to turn away from. It means about face. The word about means to go around. Alright? Paul, G, uh, John, preached the word repentance a lot. Now today, many people will teach this. Who's ever heard this term? Repent of your sins. Everyone's heard that term. Do you, I, I hear that term, I've heard that term a million times in churches. Repent of your sins. Repent of your sins. People say, if you're going to be saved, you've got to repent of your sins. Now think about it. The word repent means to turn around. To turn away from. So if you have to repent of your sins to be saved, what they're saying is you've got to turn away from your sins to be saved. Now if, I'm, if I have to turn away from my sins to be saved, wouldn't that be a work? Okay, the, the, word, the, term, the phrase repent of your sins used so much throughout churches today. You know that phrase is never found in the Bible? Never once. I dare you to find it. You will never find the word, the term. You'll find the word repent, repenting, repentance a lot. But you'll never find the word repent of your sins. It's never found in the Bible. Because if you repent of your sins, that's work. Let me prove it to you. Go with me to the Old Testament book of Jonah. Jonah, in, your old te- in the Old Testament. Okay, if you get to the Old Testament, you start going through those minor prophets there in the back. Find the book of Jonah. 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 And you, you remember the story of Jonah? I'm not going to go through it a lot. But you remember Jonah? The big, the big whale swallowed him up because he was obeying, disobeying God and all that. Do you remember that? Remember when he finally got to Nineveh and he preached that great sermon? Yet 40 days and 40 nights. And then the, they had a great revival there in Nineveh. Look at what the Bible says about that revival. Look at what it says in, in uh, Jonah chapter number 3. Look at verse number 10. Look what it says. And God saw their... What's the next word? Do you see that? Anybody there? Works. Jonah chapter number 3, verse 10. Jonah chapter number 3 in verse 10. If you can find Micah... You can find Nahum, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. I want you to see this verse. Jonah, chapter number 3. Look at verse number 10. It says, actually I'll begin reading verse 9. It says, Who can tell if God will turn and repent, and turn away from His fierce anger, that we perish not? And God saw their works. The Bible says that God saw their works. What was their works? 
that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that He had said that He would do unto them, and He did it not. According to the Bible, according to Jonah chapter number 3 and verse 10, if you turn away from your evil, God calls that works. Do you see that? And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. So if I tell you, you've got to turn from your evil way, or you've got to turn from something that's bad, or you've got to turn from something that's evil, that's hurting someone, or you've got to turn from your sin, God calls that works, and we know that works is not part of salvation. Do you want me to prove that to you? I think I've talked enough about that. I, I preach that extensively. So repenting of your sins cannot be part of salvation. Now there's nothing wrong with repenting of your sins, but there's something wrong with it if you're trying to add it to salvation. Because what's the number, what's, what's, what's the one word that describes salvation? I'll, I'll give you one, one hint. It starts with a B. I'll give you two hints. It starts with a B and it rhymes with leave. <laughs> it's belief. Faith. That's what, that's what salvation is. Okay? So if you've got to turn from your sin, that's works. Okay? If you've got to turn from... The, the Bible called it in Jonah 3.10. He said, God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. That word turns, the same word repent. means the same thing. Alright? So if you've got to repent of your sins, you're adding works to salvation. And by the way, some people say, you know, some people say this, because I've told people before, you know the phrase, is, you never find the phrase in the Bible, repent of your sins. And here's what they'll say to me. Well, the word repent, its definition is repent of your sins. So just the fact, even though the Bible never says repent of your sins, just the fact that the word repent appears, it means repent of your sins. Well, here's the problem with that. Do a study of the word repent. Do you know who repents more than anybody in the Bible? God. That's the truth. I mean, we read it there in Jonah. Did you notice that it said God repented of the evil that he was going to do? Because he repented. Because the word repent means to turn around or to turn away. It means to change your mind. Many times God was going to destroy a nation. Remember when God was going to destroy the children of Israel and Moses came and he was the intercessor for them and he said, God, don't destroy them. God, if you're going to destroy them, can't blot my name out of the book. And the Bible says that God repented of the evil. Why? Because he wasn't going to sin. So if the word repent means turn away from your sin, you're telling me that God is turning away from his sin? That doesn't make any sense. The word repent simply means to turn around, to change your mind, to turn away. If you repent of your works, that's a good thing. But if you add that to salvation, you're adding works to salvation. Go back to Acts 19. You say, Pastor Menace, what are you trying to get at? Here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. What then is repentance for salvation? Because <laughs> it's obviously not repenting of your sins. Now, it's good to repent of your sins after you're saved. But to get saved, if you're repenting of your sins to get saved, you're just adding works to salvation. So you say, what, what is repentance then when it comes to salvation? Well, look at verse 4. Paul spelled it out for us. Look what he said. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, right? That's what we're talking about. Saying unto the people, so when he, he was preaching the baptism of repentance, now he's going to explain to us what he meant by that. He said, here's what he was saying unto the people. That they should, what's the next word? Believe. Believe. On him that should come after him, that is on who? Christ Jesus. So what was John preaching? That they should believe on Christ Jesus. But wait a minute, I thought he was preaching repentance, baptism of repentance. But now you're telling me he's preaching repentance of baptism, that they should believe on Christ Jesus. What are you talking about? Well, here's what you got to understand. If you're, okay, can you believe on Christ Jesus while believing in evolution? No, right? If you believe in evolution, you don't believe in God. 
So if you're an evolutionist and you're going to get saved, guess what you got to do? You got to repent of that belief structure and believe on Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying? We're not saying you're repenting of your sins, because that would be adding works to salvation. But see, I used to believe in evolution. Now I believe on Jesus Christ. I repented of that belief. Some people don't believe in anything. They need to repent of their unbelief. They're changing their mind. Some, some would say, I used to be a Catholic. I used to trust in the fact that I was baptized as a baby, and I got catechized, and I went to the confessional booth, and I lived a good life. But now I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. So I'm turning from my previous belief, and I'm repenting of that belief, and I'm believing now on Jesus Christ. That's what repent means. So we don't repent of our sins, we repent of false religion. False belief. Unbelief. Let me prove it to you a little more. Go with me to Matthew 21. Matthew chapter 21. Don't use this phrase around me. Repent of your sins. When we're out soul winning. That's an incorrect phrase. You're teaching work salvation. You, we must teach people to repent of their false belief structure. And I'm not mad if you've used that phrase. And honestly, if you've heard that phrase, I don't even know it. Because I, I don't you know, remember that or anything like that. But I'm just saying, I'm trying to teach you the Bible. We don't repent of our sins to be saved. That's work salvation. You repent of unbelief. Let me prove it to you some more. Go with me to Matthew 21. Look at verse 32. You're there in Matthew 21? Look at verse 32. Jesus Christ is now talking about what John preached. Interesting. Look what he says. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And he says, John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. So what did they, what did they not, knew, not do? They didn't believe him, right? Ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him. He said, you Pharisees did not believe John's preaching. But the, Pharise- but the publicans and the harlots, he said, the people who were very much sinners, they, they believed, look at this, but the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not. So he said, look, John came, you didn't believe him. But the publicans and the harlots, they believed him. And when you saw that they believed him, you did not repent. Look at the last phrase of the verse. Afterward, that ye might... What's the next word? Believe him. So when Jesus Christ said, hey, you should have repented, what is he telling him? He said, you should have repented and believed. Because the Pharisees needed to turn away from their false Pharisee belief structure and believe what John was preaching which was faith in Jesus Christ. That's what repentance is. I want you to understand that. Let me, can I show you one more verse on that? Go with me to Hebrews, towards the end of your uh, New, New Testament. Hebrews chapter number 6. Hebrews chapter number 6. If you find the book of James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, Jude or Revelation, you went too far. Hebrews chapter number 6. How many of you, you know, if you go out soul winning with me, or, or maybe you ladies go out soul winning with my wife, Here's the number one answer you're going to find people that will give you. We'll knock on the door and we'll say, Hey, you know if you die today, would you go to heaven? And they'll say, Well, I think I'll go to heaven. And you'll say, Well, what, what gives you that assurance? What, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? And they'll say, Well, I live a pretty good life. I do a lot of good things. I go to church. I got baptized. I repented of my sins. They're trusting in their works. Right? Well, they can't be saved while trusting in their works because salvation is just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just faith. So what do they need to do? Look at, look at Hebrews 6, look at verse 1. Look at what 
I believe the Apostle Paul says in Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection. He says, not laying again the foundation. Notice what he said. He said, I want you to go to perfection. He said, I want you to grow. I want you to be complete. He said, not laying again the foundation of what? Repentance. From what? Dead works. And of faith toward God. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, you've got to repent from your dead works, and when you turn from your works, you turn in faith to God. Do you notice he's not saying, you've got to repent of your sin. He's saying, you've got to repent of your works. Your false religion. The works that you're trusting in to save you, those are dead works. They will never save you. He said, you've got to repent of that and turn towards faith in Christ Jesus. Very clear from the Bible. Very clear. Repentance for salvation is turning away from false religion, turning towards faith in Jesus Christ. Go back with me to Acts 19. We're almost done, I promise. Acts 19, look at verse 5. Acts 19, 5. Actually, you know what? I lied. We're probably not almost done. I got at least another 15 minutes, but stick with me. Acts 19, look at verse 5. I, I'm repenting of that sin right now. Acts 19, look at verse 5. Look what it says. Well, let's read verse 4 again. Then said Paul, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. Look at verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, when do you get baptized? Before or after salvation? Before. Before salvation? Let's, let's, we'll go, go with me to Acts chapter number 8. Let's, let's look at it. Acts chapter number 8. Look what it says. Acts chapter number 8. Look what it says in verse 36. Acts 835. Look at verse 35. Look what it says. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and he preached unto them Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? So he's asking a very specific question. What is stopping me from getting baptized? And Philip said, so he asked him, what's stopping you from getting baptized? And Philip's answering him, here's what's stopping you from getting baptized, if thou believest with all thine heart. Amen. So what do you have to do before you get baptized? you got to believe. you got to get saved before you get baptized. Because what's, what's baptism a picture of? Death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is it proper for you to get baptized if you've never believed on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Of course not. So you got to believe... In the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then you get baptized to show people this is what I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose from the grave. So Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went out both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So baptism comes after salvation, not before. And by the way, let me tell you this. If you have an NIV, New International Version, remember, remember I was teaching you about the word being incorruptible? The NIV remo- removes verse 37 from that scripture. If you have an NIV at home, go home and look at it. It'll go, it'll literally go, I'm not even joking, it'll go verse 36. It'll, you'll be reading, you're reading verse 34, verse 35, verse 36, verse 38, verse 39. It doesn't even change the numbers, it just removes it. Now look, according to the NIV, can you be saved, can you be baptized before you're saved? Of course you can. Because according to the NIV, the eunuch asked, what does it mean to be baptized? They removed verse 37, so verse 38, they're getting baptized. But that's not a Bible. Because the Bible says you've got to believe before you can get baptized. Does that make sense? Go, to Acts, go back to Acts 19. Acts 19. 
They were baptized. Why were they baptized? Because they believed. Now, remember, they did not have a problem with their faith. They had faith. They didn't understand. Look at verse uh, 5 again. And when they heard this, make note of the, the, these two words, heard this. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When they heard this, what did they hear? The Word. They heard in verse 4, Paul preaching them salvation through Jesus Christ. So when they heard this, they were baptized. Why were they baptized? Go with me to Romans chapter number 10. Let's do it quickly. Romans chapter number 10. Look at verse number 17. Romans chapter number 10. Look at verse 17. Look what it says. Romans... You're there in Acts, just go to the next book in the Bible. Romans chapter number 10, look at verse 17. Look what it says. Romans 10, 17. Look what the Bible says. So then faith, the word faith means believe, it's the same thing. So then faith cometh by what? Hearing. So how do you get faith? By hearing. Hearing what? Look what it says. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. You notice how that goes perfectly with the parable of the sower? The seed is the word. You sow the word. They receive the word. They understand the word. They hear the word. They get saved. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. You go back to Acts 19, verse 5. When they heard this, what did they hear? The word. They were baptized. Why were they baptized? Because they believed. They already believed. They just didn't believe right. So Paul taught them how to believe right. He said, no, you don't believe in John the Baptist, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When they heard this, they, they repented of believing in John the Baptist, they took that faith, placed it in Jesus Christ, and then, John, and then Paul baptized them after they got saved. Now hold on a second. They'd already been baptized. The Baptist, let me tell you just a little bit about Baptist history. Don't let anybody tell you that Baptists are Protestants. Baptists are not Protestants. We've never been Protestants. Protestants came out of the Catholic Church. The Protestant Reformation, led by Martin Luther and John Calvin and those type of guys, they were Catholics protesting against the Catholic Church, hence named Protestants, and left the Catholic Church because they were protesting the Catholic Church. Baptists have never been part of the Catholic Church. Through history, the Catholics have persecuted Christians, and these Christians were never associated to Catholicism. They didn't come out of Catholicism. They've always been a thorn in the side to Catholicism. And here's what happened. These Christians, like Paul, would take, because the Catholic Church would baptize a baby. Now, was a baby saved? Well, a baby can't understand. First of all, a baby's not condemned. A baby dies, they go to heaven. So if you're not condemned, you don't need to be saved. A baby doesn't understand. They cannot hear. I mean, they can hear, but they can't, they can't hear with their understanding. They can't understand the word. Okay, so they baptize a baby, right? That baby's not saved. That baby would grow up to be a, a person who could understand. They'd have a preacher, a Christian, come, teach them the Bible, sow the word in their heart. Then they'd receive the word, they'd understand the word, they'd believe they got saved. So then, guess what they do? The exact same thing Paul was doing. They baptize. Why? Because baptism comes after salvation. So what did the Catholics start doing? They started mocking these Christians, saying, these Christians are re-baptizers. Why? Because they're saying, we already baptized them. We baptized them when they were babies. They're re-baptizers. You know what they call them? Anabaptists. The word ana means re. And they called them Anabaptists. And they would mock and say, those are, the, those, are those Anabaptists. Those are those re-baptizers. They say that our, our baptism isn't good enough. They say that they got saved. 
an adult and they got saved as a child and, and, and their infant baptism isn't any good. So they re-baptized, they anabaptized, and through history they were called anabaptists, anab eventually the word anna went away and they're just known as Baptists. And let me show you to you that Paul's a Baptist. You know why? Verse 4, verse 5. When they heard this, they were re-baptized. They were anabaptized. They were Anabaptists. You say, are, are the Baptists uh, a Protestants? No. You, you go back in our history, our history doesn't lead to Roman Catholicism. Our history leads to the shores of Galilee, to Paul and Jesus Christ, and John the what? Baptist. He wasn't John the Lutheran. He wasn't John the Presbyterian. He wasn't non denom John. He was John the Baptist. Why? Because they baptized when they got saved, not before. They were rebaptizing. And Paul here in verse 5 was rebaptizing. It's scriptural to rebaptize. People say, you shouldn't baptize people after they've been baptized. Well, if they don't understand what salvation was when they got baptized, hey, they need to be rebaptized. If they, if they got, that, that baptism wasn't scriptural. Look at verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them. And they spake with tongues and prophesied. Now let me show you, let me show you something. I got five minutes. If I go a little bit over, you'll have to forgive me. Do you remember do you remember in John chapter twenty when Jesus said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost? Do you remember that? We just looked at that? Go with me to Acts chapter number one. Look at verse eight. Acts one eight. Here's what you gotta understand. John Acts follows John. Alright? It's the same chronology. I know it follows it from, you know, the next book is John. But what I'm trying to show you is, the book of Acts starts where John, the book of John left off. Okay? You understand that? So in John chapter number 20, Jesus Christ said to the disciples, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. But 50 days later, or 50 days or so later, in Acts chapter number 1, look at verse 8. Jesus Christ said to his disciples, He says, But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in, uh, in uh, Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, hold on a second, Jesus. You told us almost 50 days ago, in the upper room, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now in Acts 1.8, you're telling us that the Holy Ghost is going to come upon us. Is there a contradiction here? What's the problem? Here's what you got to understand, okay? And I, I'm just going to do it quickly because I don't have a lot of time. The Bible teaches this. When you get saved, you get indwelled with the Holy Ghost. You get sealed with the Spirit of promise. Alright? That is different than the power of God coming upon you. The Holy Ghost coming upon you. Do you understand that? John 20's receiving the Holy Ghost is different than Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost come upon you. All throughout the Old Testament, you found people having the Holy Ghost come upon them. You found David where it said that the Holy the Spirit of God came upon him. You found Saul where it said the Holy Spirit came upon him. You found Samson where it said the Spirit of God came upon him. You found men all throughout the Old Testament where the Spirit of God came upon them. The Spirit of God came upon them. The Spirit of God came upon them. But in but in John we read that Jesus Christ Christ said the Holy Ghost had not been given. So what's the problem? Here's what you understand, okay? The Holy Ghost coming upon someone and the Holy Ghost indwelling someone are two different things. 
In the Old Testament, the Holy Ghost, the power of God could come upon someone and it could also leave them. It came upon Samson and it left Samson. It came upon Saul and it left Saul. It came upon men and it left. In the New Testament, those men were never indwelled by the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, after Jesus glorified, we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's power coming upon you is optional. He can come upon you and He can leave you. Just like in the Old Testament. You will always be indwelled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible also calls it being filled with the Holy Spirit, the power of God. Now you can have the Holy Spirit in you, but are you filled with the Spirit? You can have the Holy Spirit, but the question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Do you understand what I'm saying? The power of the Holy Spirit, because guess what? You can be saved and not be a disciple, right? You can have the Holy Spirit and not have the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says we can, we can, we, we can weaken the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that we can uh, you know, make the Holy Spirit uh, uh, weak in our lives. The Bible says we can, uh, you, you know, we can quench the Holy Spirit based on the sin in your life. The Holy Spirit's power is different. Acts 1a, he said, but ye shall receive, notice this word, power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. They already received the Holy Ghost in John chapter number 20. But in Acts 1a, Jesus is saying, hey, you don't just have to be indwelled with the Spirit, you can have the power of the Spirit. And these men, when did they get the Holy Spirit? When they believed. But when Paul put his hands on them and prayed, they got the power of the Holy Spirit. You see in Acts 19, look at verse uh, 6 again. Acts 19. Look at verse 6 again. Look what it says. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues. Let's talk about that phrase. That's the last thing we're going to talk about. I promise. We're done. We're done. Go with me to Acts 2. Look what it says. Let's do it quickly. Who's, you, has, any, has everybody here heard of, of speaking in tongues, or tongues speaking? Yeah. Okay, we've all heard of that, right? Say, Pastor Jimenez, what do you think about that? Here's what I think about it. What does the Bible think about it? If the Bible says it's real, then it's real. If the Bible says it's not real, it's not real. Let me tell you something. The Bible does talk about tongue speaking, but let's look at what the Bible says. Look at Acts chapter number 2. This is the day of Pentecost. This is where the Pentecostals take their name from, the day of Pentecost. The word pente means five, like you've heard of a pentagon with five sides. Pentecost happened 50 days after uh, the Passover, or what we would know as Easter. Jesus Christ died as our Passover. 50 days later was the feast of Pentecost. Jesus Christ died at the Passover. Fifty days later, they're celebrating Pentecost, Acts chapter number 2. Look what it says. Big celebration. They're Pentecost. Look what it says, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Who's that all? That were all. I don't have the time to show it to you. You can do it in your own time. Acts 1 tells us that all was that small church. 120 people in that church. They were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a... I know I've done this before. If you've already heard this before, I apologize. I just Every time it comes up, I want to show it because people don't... Sometimes they don't really understand what we believe. Look what it says. Verse number 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. My first question to our Pentecostal friends is this. If what happens in your church service is the same thing that happened in the Pentecost, do you have a sudden rushing mighty wind coming... I'm not talking about something you do with, with a microphone. I'm not talking about something in the back going... With speakers. They didn't have speakers in Acts 2. Okay, this was God. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Look at verse 3. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. 
Bible says on the top of every one of their heads was fire. I gotta ask this question. I've never been to a Pentecostal church, so I can't answer this. But at the Pentecostal church, when they're speaking in tongues, does fire appear over their head? Because that's what happened at the day of Pentecost. See, we can't just pick and choose what we want to fit. If you're going to be a Pentecostal, because the same thing that happens to you happens at the day of Pentecost, then where's the mighty rushing wind? Then where's the fire over your head? Look at verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. This is what Jesus was talking about in Acts 1.8. The power of the Holy Ghost. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So notice, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You said, Pastor Jimenez, what is that talking about? Speaking in tongues. Well, here's the beautiful thing about our King James Bible. It's its own dictionary. So don't tell us what it's talking about. Look at verse 6. Now when this was noise abroad, the multitude came together. There's a big multitude there because it was the day of Pentecost. A big feast, right? And were confounded. That word confounded means they were confused. So the multitude comes together and they're all confused. They're scratching their heads watching this happen. Why are they confused? Because that every man heard them speak in his own... What's the next word? Language. You see how the Bible just defined for us? Because the Bible tells us in verse uh, 5... I'm sorry... We skipped verse 5, didn't we? That was a key verse. Look at verse 4 again. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. So what are they speaking? With other tongues. As the Spirit gave them uttered. Verse 5 says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every what? What's it say? Nations under heaven. It's the day of Pentecost. All the Jews from all these nations are coming to Jerusalem to celebrate the day of Pentecost. So there's Jews from all nations. When you come from another country, you speak a different language. And this multitude came together, verse 6, and they were confused, they were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. The word language, the word tongue means the same thing. The Spanish word for, for tongue is lengua. The Spanish word for language is lengua. It's, amazing, it's the same thing. The word tongue and language means the same thing. What were they doing in Acts chapter number 2? Were they speaking gibberish, blah, 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 matata, blah, 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 Osama bin Laden, speaking all these things, and oh, nobody understands what they're saying. They're speaking a heavenly language. That's not what happened in Acts 2. They were speaking in another tongue. But the Bible tells us there was people from other nations, and they heard them speak in their own language. Look at verse 7. And they were all amazed and marveled saying one to another, Behold, are not all this which speak Galileans? Here's what they're saying. Aren't these guys from Galilee? Here's what Aren't they locals? Look at verse 8. These people are locals. They're from Galilee. They're from Jerusalem. And how hear we every man in our own tongue? Now wait a minute. Verse 6, you said you heard them speak in your own language. Verse 8, you said you heard them speak in your own tongue. Why? Why is that? The Bible uses the word interchangeably because it's defining it for us. How hear we every man speak in our own tongue wherein we were born? Notice what they're saying. Say, we can understand what you're saying from the country I was born in. Look, And just in case you don't believe me, God takes it a step further in verse 9 and He gives you a list of the countries they came from. Look what it says, verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia and in Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians. Notice, those are all countries. 
these Jews came from. We do, look, verse 11, we do hear them speak in our own, what's the word? Tongues. The wonderful works of God. Pastor Jimenez, what happened at the day of Pentecost? Here's what happened at the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit's power came upon these people. A mighty rushing wind came into the room. Fire showed up on their heads. And they went out. Here's what they did. They didn't stay in the church service. No, no, no. They went out soul winning. And they found a whole lot of Jews from different nations. And they brought these people together. And they spoke different languages. And they were hearing them speak in their own tongue. And that was a miracle. They heard them speak in their own language, and the people were like, wow, this is amazing. You don't speak Arabic, or you don't speak, you know, whatever, Spanish, you don't speak French, you don't speak, how can I understand what you're saying? That was what, that's what happened. Not what happens today in the Pentecostal churches of today, where people are just gibberish and blah, 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 and, and this and that, and they say, oh, he's speaking in a spirit, he's speaking in a... That's not the same thing. If, if in the Pentecostal churches was happening what happened in the Pentecost, here's what they'd be doing. They'd be out in the streets, and they could do it in Sacramento. They'd be out in the streets, and someone who never spoke Spanish would go over to the little Spanish neighborhood and start preaching the gospel in Spanish. And people would say, you don't speak Spanish. How can you be talking in Spanish? And they'd say, the Holy Spirit gave me the utterance. That's what happened. And that doesn't happen. God could do it today if He wanted to. And it happened certain times in the Scripture, but that's what happened at the day of Pentecost. And in Acts 19, we're done right here. God was trying to prove His authenticity of these 12 men. And He's trying to prove to us that they got saved. And He said, hey, they believed, they understood, they got baptized. And in verse 6, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about 12. Here's what happened to these men. They heard John the Baptist, but they didn't understand. The enemy came, the wicked man, one came and took that seed. Paul comes along, he sees very good disciples, but he's not impressed. Then just because you're a disciple doesn't mean you're saved. And he says, let me ask you a question. They answer the question, he says, you're not even saved. He preaches the gospel to them, sows the seed. They receive it, they understand it, they get saved, they get baptized after salvation, rebaptized and a Baptist. And then God proves His power even more by allowing them to speak with tongues. And it wasn't gibberish. It wasn't, they weren't rolling around. The Pentecostal churches say, I, I've, I've read articles and heard of Pentecostal where they'll, they'll, they'll have these laughing Pentecostals where they like laugh hysterically and they'll say that the Spirit made them do it. Or they'll roll around. I've seen videos where Pentecostals are rolling around on the ground barking like dogs. That's not what happened at the day of Pentecost. They were preaching the Gospel. They were getting people saved. And just prove it from the Bible. Disprove me what I just taught you. You can't. Because the Bible is its own definition. They're speaking with tongues, and these people... Here's, here's what happened. Verse, first seven verses of Acts 19, here's what happened. There was unsaved disciples, and Paul got them saved. Amen. Amen and amen. There was unsaved disciples, and Paul got them saved. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for church. Thank you for Bible study time. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the book of Acts. We love you, Lord. In precious name I pray. Amen.